0: Called the Book of Signs to the second half, often called the Book of Glory. But let's be honest, what we read from John 13 wasn't all that glorious. It started with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, a humiliating form of service. Then we read that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas. And then last, Jesus predicted that Peter, seemingly the most loyal disciple of them all, would deny him three times. There doesn't seem to be anything glorious about washing feet, being betrayed, and being denied. So the only way John 13 can be construed as glorious is if we turn our understanding of glory upside down. But then again, the gospel of a crucified Lord does just that. So John 13 seemed to contain a lot of bad news. And Jesus recognizes that. That's why he says in verse 1 of chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In the rest of this chapter, Jesus gives his understandably disturbed disciples some good news. And thankfully, John 14 is not just good news for Jesus' followers back then. It's good news for Jesus' followers right now. So open up to John chapter 14, verse 1. Feel free to follow along as we go in our Bibles, which you can take home if you don't have one, or follow along on the screen. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are unchanging, uh, that you are so good and so perfect and so glorious in and of yourself. And even as so much around us changes, maybe in good ways with the changing of the seasons and the beautiful colors and Maybe in bad ways, when things seem to go wrong. Uh, thank you that you do not change. Uh, you don't change because you don't need to change. You don't need to get any better than you already are, than you always have been. And so, Lord, as we think about that and try to wrap our minds around your greatness, uh, I pray that would drive us to worship, drive us to awe, uh, drive us to praise. And, Lord, thank you that we know you. Uh, Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, especially in your word. And I pray that you would be with us this morning as we read your word. Uh, Your word is not just a religious document. Uh, This is not just an interesting text worthy of of study or admiration, but this is your revelation of yourself. Uh, The way we know you, the primary way we know you, is by reading your word. And so help us enter into your word with gratitude and and with humility and with open hearts and open minds. So, Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to worship together, to consider who you are, to read your word and learn more about who you are. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would respond rightly to who you are with the way we worship you this morning. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, starting in John chapter 14, verse... Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, I will do it. So in these verses, Jesus gives his anxious disciples three main pieces of good news. First, Jesus promises them that one day they will be with him again. That's verses 1 through 4. Jesus had told the disciples back in chapter 13 that he was going away. In verse 33, he said he was going somewhere that they cannot come. And that troubled Peter enough that he asked Jesus about it in verse 36. Lord, why can't I go with you now? I'll lay my life down for you. But in chapter 14, Jesus promises Peter and the rest of the disciples and you and me that though he is in a sense gone now, One day we will be with him. This is a promise of eternal reward. A heavenly dwelling with God for those who believe in and obey Jesus. There have often been misunderstandings about heaven amongst Christians. We sometimes view heaven as a disembodied existence far off in the sky. Picture people sitting on clouds eating cream cheese. Sometimes we view heaven as nothing more than a better version of earth. A place where we get to eat our favorite food every day, spend all our time on our hobbies, and no longer have those achy joints. But at the end of the day, what makes heaven heaven is God's presence. Heaven is where God is. And Jesus promises his disciples that one day we will be in God's presence. One day we'll be resurrected as Jesus is resurrected in a new heaven and a new earth. God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him as it was always meant to be. That's good news. Now, the second piece of good news, verses 5 through 11, is that Jesus points the way to God's presence. It's true that the disciples needed some help figuring it out. But thankfully, the answer is literally standing right in front of them. There's only one way to the Father, Jesus Christ, God's Son. As we've seen throughout this gospel, God the Father and God the Son are a package deal. Now John fourteen six may not be a popular verse in a pluralistic, all-inclusive society. But in the words of Daryl Bach, no text in scripture is clearer than this one in stating that access to God is given only through Christ. Access to God is given only through Christ. So there's only one way to God's presence. And that's good news. Now what makes that good news, you might ask? Because you know it. Because I know it. And if you didn't know it when you walked in here this morning, you do now. The third piece of good news... Is the privilege of prayer. Verses 13 and 14 tell us that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, in accordance with God's glory, of course, God will do it. That's not a guaranteed answer to every prayer. Tacking the phrase, in Jesus' name, onto the end of every prayer is not a magic guarantee that God will do what we ask. God will do what is best, and he knows what that is better than we do. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8, right before he gives us the Lord's Prayer, God knows what we need before we even ask. So while these words are not a guaranteed yes to every prayer request, They should encourage us to pray in Jesus' name with boldness and with confidence. Now, before we move forward, what do you do with that truly, truly statement in verse 12? How in the world can we, as Jesus' disciples, do greater works than Jesus? I don't know about you, but I haven't raised anybody from the dead lately. And if you have, feel free to share that with the group. This isn't so much about the spectacle of the works, how amazing this one act really is. It's more about the context in which we serve. In a sense, Jesus' greatness is more obvious now than it was when he spoke those words in verse 12. Why? Why? Now? Because Jesus is now crucified, resurrected and ascended. Thus, in a way, the works that we do now in Jesus' name are even greater than they were before. Because the Lord who we serves, greatness is more evident now than it ever has been. Now so far, so good, right? John 14 already seems much more optimistic and much more glorious than John 13 did. We have these three pieces of good news so far. The promise of God's presence, knowledge of the way to get there, and the privilege of prayer as we wait. But, in the words of theologian Billy Mays, Bishop of OxyClean, But wait, there's more. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, imagine being that guy. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So we have two more pieces of good news in these verses. The fourth bit from John 14 is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verses 15 through 26. As we said earlier, in a sense, Jesus is leaving. Even now, he's not with us in the same way that he was with the disciples. But in another sense, thanks to the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is closer to his people now than ever. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. Other translations say the advocate, the counselor, the comforter. One even says legal assistant. The Spirit helps us remember Jesus' words. Verse 26. In chapters 15 and 16, Jesus says the Spirit will help us bear witness about him. Will give us courage. Courage. Will give us the words to say. The spirit will convict the world of sin. Convict the world of righteousness. And guide us into truth. That's all good news. As we saw earlier. One day Jesus will return. He will be physically present with his disciples once again. And that day will be awesome. But in the meantime, he has not left us as orphans. While we wait, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And he, yes, he, not it, can help us press on in faith until Jesus comes. Now the fifth and final piece of good news from this chapter, one that's easy to overlook... Comes in verse 30. The devil is no match for Jesus. Last week we read that the devil entered into Judas Iscariot's heart and spurred on his act of betrayal. And according to verse 30, this same devil is coming for Jesus. What Judas was doing, Jesus told him to do quickly. The words that we're reading are essentially part of one long conversation leading up to Jesus' arrest. His time is at hand. But look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 30. The devil has no claim on him. He has no claim on him. Satan is a real danger to God's people. He can do us real harm. 1 Peter 5.8 calls the devil a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But we Christians know that while the devil may be stronger than us, he is no match for our Lord. You may see on social media sometimes those pictures going around of Jesus and the devil locked in an arm wrestling match. And it says, share this photo or the devil wins. Well, I can assure you that your social media activity has no impact on Jesus's overcoming of Satan. If you want to share it, share it, but it's not doing anything. <laughs> but I will also say of that picture that that image of Jesus and the devil locked in arm wrestling and oh my gosh, who's going to win? They both have big veins and they both have big biceps. It looks like a pretty good matchup. It's not. It's not a good matchup. Scripture makes that clear. The devil has no claim on Jesus. He has no shot against Jesus. And because he has no claim on Jesus, he has no final claim on us. And that is good news. So, altogether, we have five pieces of good news for Jesus's. Stressed out disciples. Though he's leaving now. Jesus promises that they will be with him again. Jesus has pointed out the only way to the father. You're looking at him. Jesus has held out the privilege of prayer in his name. He's told them of the coming presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's pronounced the devil's defeat. Again, this isn't just good news for the disciples back then. It's good news for disciples like you and me today. But there's one final point to consider. How do we know for sure that all this good news of John 14 is ours? Well, if you didn't notice, there's been a big emphasis throughout this chapter on the disciples' faith and obedience. The disciples have been consistently reminded, challenged, and encouraged to do what the old hymn tells us to do, to trust and obey. Now, where do we see the emphasis on the first one? Trust, faith. John 14, verse 1, believe in God, believe also in me. In verses 10 through 12, the word believe occurs four times in three verses. It's kind of important. And then verse 29, I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. It's a big emphasis in John. It's a big emphasis in this chapter. Now where do we see the other side? Obedience. Verse 12. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verses 23 and 24, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. So how do we know that all this good news of John 14 really is ours? Well, to put it simply, we trust and obey Jesus. Don't fall into the trap of setting faith and obedience against each other. There's an extreme camp that Christians are sometimes tempted to fall into. It's the camp that says, well, as long as I believe, as long as I raised a hand, said a prayer, got baptized, maybe signed a card, it doesn't really matter what I do. I believe. That's placing all the emphasis on trust at the expense of obey. The other extreme is basically the opposite. Well, you don't necessarily have to believe all this stuff, as long as you do the same kind of stuff that Jesus did. As long as you love people, as long as you're kind, as long as you're generous, as long as you're hospitable, who really cares what you believe? Well, John fourteen six might have something to say about that. That's placing all the emphasis on obey at the expense of trust. As James famously said, faith without works is dead. Conversely, works without faith are dead too. John 14 does not separate our faith in Jesus from our obedience to Jesus. And neither should we. So may we both believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and prove ourselves to be his disciples. May we take all the good, glorious news of John 14 and apply it to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. May we trust and obey. We'll end this morning with the words that Jesus started the chapter with. Let not your hearts be troubled. There's all kinds of troubling stuff in the world today. Cultural chaos, political upheaval, economic uncertainty, and seemingly unending threats to our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. The world we live in is just as fallen as ever. And as a result, even the most mature disciple of Jesus can understandably feel intimidated and overwhelmed but let not your hearts be troubled. The good news of John 14 is just as true for you as it was for Peter and the rest of the disciples. We too have the eternal reward of being in God's presence laying ahead of us. And Jesus has pointed out and provided the way there through his own death and resurrection. We too have the privilege of praying in Jesus' name. We too have the Holy Spirit living powerfully within us and we too have a promise that the devil has no claim on our Lord and has no claim on us either. So may we too be at peace. May we too not be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. Rather, may we simply, faithfully, and joyfully Trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this word that you've given us. Thank you for the gospel of John. Thank you for this artist portrait of who you are and what you have done in your incarnation, in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. And Lord, I pray that as we follow you now, as we live as your disciples, almost 2,000 years removed from when these words were first spoken, I pray that the good news that John 14 contained for those original disciples, that we would recognize what good news it is for us as well. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and enable us and empower us to trust and obey to really believe all these promises and to respond accordingly not just in our heads not just with our words but with our lives and our deeds Lord help us follow you help us trust and obey you and Lord let not our hearts be troubled like we said there are all kinds of reasons that our hearts could be troubled and often are troubled but The peace that you give us exceeds whatever might trouble us in this world. And so I pray that you would help us embrace that peace. Remind us that we are not alone, that you haven't left us as orphans, that we're not navigating this fallen world by ourselves, but that you are with us, you will be with us once again. And Lord, help us trust and obey until that day comes. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you for the gift of your cross. Thank you for the gift of prayer that we can say and pray all these things in your name. Amen.